Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Right, uh, but before we uh, get into being encouraged by opening his word, which is definitely an encouragement, uh, I want to share a couple of announcements with you guys quickly uh, of things coming down the road. Hopefully these are encouraging things also. Uh, next week is Palm Sunday, uh, so Mark Berkshire, Pastor Mark Berkshire, he's our teaching pastor, he uh, uh, is actually teaching at a church in Ohio Pile this Sunday. Um, uh, he will be with us next Sunday uh, to share the message. And then the following Sunday is Easter Sunday, or what we call Resurrection Sunday. We're going to start that off at 6.37 a.m. with a sunrise celebration, right? I get not everybody's into like getting up that super early. Uh, Sunrise is, I think, 6.38 a.m., so we're going to start our celebration at 6.37 a.m. That's kind of obvious. Uh, and then, because we've gotten up extra early, our normal time of celebrating, instead of at 10.37, we're going to push that back to 11.07 for those of us who need a nap because we're in a food coma because of breakfast, meaning me. Uh, then we'll push that back to like 11.07 a.m., so uh, tell anyone that you know that, hey, it's on uh, Easter Sunday. We're not going to meet at 1037. We're going to meet at 1107. We'll still finish about the same time. Uh, we're just going to start a little bit later. And then the following week uh, is when we have our annual church business meeting on Sunday the 24th. Uh, and we only have a couple of things to kind of talk about on the uh, agenda. One is obviously to approve the budget for the uh, upcoming year. And the fact that we're just approving our budget for our fiscal year is kind of weird because our fiscal year goes from the 1st of April till the 31st of March. So one of the things that we're going to, as a congregation, vote on is changing it to match up with the calendar year, to go from January 1st to December 31st. Uh, and then we will adjust our annual business meeting to be like the last Sunday in January to give us time to get all the records and all that stuff in place. Uh, but also, normally what we do is it's a quick like meeting that we talk about like for five or ten minutes uh, before we start the Sunday celebration. But we're actually going to be in the middle, not in the middle, in a series called I Have a Friend Who Says. Right? We did this a few years ago where we talked about, I have a friend who says, you know, God doesn't exist. I have a friend who says, you know, the Bible isn't really God's word. And we talked about, I think there were like uh, maybe seven or eight different topics so we could equip you to have these conversations because we all have friends who say these kind of things. Not to debate or argue with them, but just to be able to, as the Bible says, respond respectfully, or here's why I believe what I believe. But also, uh, that week, we're going to be in this part of that series that says, I have a friend who says the church just wants your money. And I don't know how many of you have friends who say that. I hear that all the time from people. Um, and I really want to show them my pay stub, because that's not the case right? Uh, the church doesn't just want your money. But we're going to address a whole lot of that that week uh, as we talk about um, our, our annual business meeting and so that you guys can see where pretty much every dollar of your tithe money, what it goes towards, how it's used, uh, and you can verify that, yeah, 
The church doesn't just want all your money. We're going to finish the book of Zechariah this morning, uh, Old Testament book. Um, and I want to remind us of some of the things that we talked about uh, before we wrap it up. Uh, there were two things that were highlighted. There's a bunch of stuff talked about, but two things that were highlighted throughout the book of Zechariah. The first was Zechariah telling the people of Israel that they needed to return to the Lord, right? Uh, so they were uh, sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, which had been destroyed. But they got distracted and started focusing on all the stuff in their life. Like, I got to get the kids off to soccer. They didn't play soccer, but you get the point. Got to get the kids off to soccer. I got to work two jobs. I got to do this. I got to do that. So God sent not only Zechariah, he also sent the prophet Hosea. If you read through the book of Hosea, it starts out with the same thing, telling them, hey, you need to get back to work doing what God has called you to do, and you need to return to the Lord because your focus is on all these other things. And we said, that's for them because they were rebuilding the temple. For us today, it's more of a, yes, we need to return to the Lord, but we need to get back to doing what God has called us to do, which is to build his kingdom. We're not here to build a temple, but we're supposed to be sharing the gospel with people within our circles of influence to build God's kingdom. Uh, but the other theme, which we talked about extensively over the last couple of weeks, was for them to look to the Messiah, to his first coming and to his return. For us today, it's more of a, hey, we've seen the evidence, we've seen the 300-plus uh, the prophecy throughout the Bible that talk about his first coming, all fulfilled. So then for us, it's to look to his return. There's over a 1,000 prophecies, some of them fulfilled in Zechariah, that talk about the return. So that's what we're supposed to look to. Uh, and the last few chapters that we talked about last week and that we're going to finish talking about this week uh, use this phrase, on that day. And it describes two things that are going to happen on that day. On that day, first and foremost, is this, this great war called Armageddon, right? Where, where Satan and the Antichrist, they just kind of influence all of the nations of the world to come and attack Israel. And it's going to be this great war, and it's going to take place in the plain called Megiddo, which is where we get the term Armageddon from, right? But then he also says on that day, this war, this Armageddon, is going to culminate with the return of Jesus Christ. So some people are like, so there is a date assigned to it? No, because we have no idea when this war is going to take place, right? We have no idea what the things that lead up to this war are going to occur, but we are told with alarming specificity that whenever this war does occur, that it's going to culminate with the return of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Zechariah, he uses uh, that verse on that day multiple times. Uh, we're going to look at, I'm going to put all the verses up on the screen again and just focus on that term on that day. And I have to apologize in advance. It's going to be a whole lot of Bible verses that we're going to go through. That's why we have three coffee machines, though, so you can caffeine up and, and, and follow along, all right? So uh, all those verses are going to be up on the screen, uh, but if you want to follow along, you can jump to Zechariah chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 3, because this is what it says. Then the Lord, this is after, like, this Armageddon, after this war, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. So when 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 Jesus returns, it's not just to hang out with everybody. He's going to go defend his people. 
right? Uh, and then he says this, and this, this, I might get a little excited about this because I love this type of stuff, but bear with me. He says, on that day, his feet, again, referring to the Lord, will stand on the Mount of Olives, right? East of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Now, there's, there's two things I want to highlight because this is really cool. He says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So in essence, he's going to return to the same place that he ascended from because when you go to the book of Acts, this is what we're told. In Acts chapter 1, it says, after he, meaning Jesus, said this, he was taken up from before their very eyes, the there are the apostles, right? And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the skies he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day's walk from the city. So the same place that he ascended from, 2,000 years ago, at some point in the future, he's going to return to, and when you look at this verse, this is the only time in the entire Old Testament you see the phrase Mount of Olives. It's throughout the New Testament, because Jesus hung out there, he prayed there, but the only time you see it in the Old Testament is here, when it's talking about where he's going to return to. And then when you get to the New Testament, right, when Jesus ascends, then to what we believe are angelic beings show up and say, hey, you saw him ascend from here? This is the exact same way he's going to return. And he's referring to where Zachariah says he's going to return. This is also cool. I'm sorry if I get giddy over this because this is amazing. He says that there is going to be uh, the mountain, the Mount of Olives, will split into from like east to west. And that there's going to be a valley running north and south between it, which is a really weird thing to say. In my mind, I'm thinking that, you know, I watch a lot of TV and cartoons. Uh, so I'm thinking of like, uh, did anyone see the movie Black Widow? Black Widow? Okay, you guys did? You did? Okay, they kept talking about how she does a superhero landing. And I'm thinking that Jesus is going to do the superhero landing with such wars. He's going to split the mountain. Here's the cool thing, though. And Zechariah didn't know this, but uh, geologists, not today, but in our time, have found that there is a fault line that runs underneath the Mount of Olives, which makes sense why if Jesus lands there, I'm assuming he lands there, that it's going to split, probably because of an earthquake or whatever we don't know, but it lines up. Now, Zechariah could not have known that there was a fault line that was running underneath the Mount of Olives. But God knew that there was a fault line that ran underneath the Mount of Olives. All right, so moving on. He says this, On that day there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. This is one of those weird sentences and phrases that I'm trying to grasp and make sense of. And the only thing I could think of, and I went and looked through other commentaries and what they say, and they kind of, most of them agree, is that there's going to be this weird time where uh, God, who is a supernatural being, 
steps into time where, where we exist, because he exists outside of time, and there's not going to be day, there's not going to be night. Some theologians believe instead of it being on that day, it may be several days because there is no night, I'm going with what God says on that day, uh, where there will be no day, there will be no night, uh, but then in the book of Revelation, it talks about where God himself will be our source of light. So in, on this day, when he returns, uh, he's going to go out, he's going to defend his people. The Mount of Olives is going to split. All of like our natural, you know, sun, moon, stars, all that stuff are going to be in this weird where supernatural meets natural. But then he also says this, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. Now, this may seem a little bit weird, right? Like, where's this water going to come from? But again, this is the supernatural God in the flesh meeting the natural. And when you look, uh, the Apostle John talks about this because here's what he writes. This was, uh, he claims that Jesus says that he is the living water, right? So in John chapter 4, uh, he says this, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Now, let me give you a little bit of background about this, all right? Um, the Samaritan people uh, were, were Jewish, but they had mixed blood. Because uh, when, they, when, when the land was conquered, uh, the kings would send in different people from different areas to live there, and they took a lot of the Jews captive. But then the people who lived there, they ended up intermarrying. So there was this descendant of mixed race and mixed culture. You get to Jesus' day, and the Jewish people, who were like descendants, just pure Jewish, they didn't associate with the Samaritans because they were different racially and they were different culturally. As a matter of fact, this is what they would do. Uh, imagine if Jefferson Hills were Samaria, right? So the Jews who were in Elizabeth, if they needed to go to West Mifflin to go to like fresh time, they wouldn't go through Jefferson Hills even though you could just ride your car through 51, because they didn't want to associate with the Samaritans. So they would go down the river all the way around so they didn't have to associate with the people. So the Jews would not associate with the Samaritan people. When they needed to go somewhere, they would go all the way around the city instead of taking the direct route through the city because they wanted nothing to do with the people. That's like racism at its best, right? Jesus was with his disciples, and he said, hey... I need to go to Samaria. And they thought that was weird, but he's Jesus, so they went. When Jesus got there, he sees the Samaritan woman by the well, and he asks her for a drink. And then she responds, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Again, his claim that he's the living water. Now, once he said that, they have a conversation. He reveals stuff about her life to her. She goes and tells everyone in the village, hey, I've just met the Messiah. The entire village comes out, and everyone gets saved. And Jesus, I think he spends three days there teaching and ministering to the people, and then he leaves. Because his thing was, hey, I have to go to Samaria. The only thing he did was minister to these people, and then he left because he wanted them to have that living water. When you get to the book of Revelation, this is what it says, 
right? It says, then the angel, this is again, the apostle John, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, again, one throne of God and of the Lamb, again, talking about the Trinity, uh, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And again, it's the, the source of this living water is God himself. And that living water is going to be provided freely to people. Jumping back into Zechariah, it says this, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name the only name. Now, I'm not going to ask, like, who you voted for, because it won't matter. If you voted Republican, it won't matter. If you voted Democrat, it won't matter, because there will be one king. I have no idea who the king or queen of England will be at that time, but it won't matter. It won't matter uh, about Russia and Ukraine. If they're still fighting at that time, it won't matter. Because there will be one king, one lord. I have no idea what the pope will do, probably retire, because it won't matter. There will just be one king, one lord over the entire earth. Right? Then he says this. On that day, people will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. They will seize each other by the hand and attack one another. This isn't talking about those people who believe in God. It's talking about the enemies of God. And they will be so fearful of God. There's a verse, and I don't remember uh, exactly where it is. I think it's in Ezekiel, that says that he will defeat them with just the presence of his glory. Right? Have you ever like been... In a meeting and somebody walks in and they just command attention because they just kind of come strutting into the room. This is what God will do, but it will be so much glory that it will cause his enemies to be stricken with panic and fear, right? And then he goes on and he says this, on that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Now, let me explain what he means by that, right? So uh, in the temple, there were these utensils that were used um, uh, in the worship of God and in the sacrifice. But they were holy, and only the, only the priests could use them. But this is saying um, that, uh, and as I'll show you in the next verse, that every pot, every cooking utensil will be like a holy vessel because it will be in the presence of God. It won't be that you only have to go to the temple to be in the presence of God and use holy things. Wherever you go, you will be in the presence of God, one king over the whole earth, and there will be worship of him. Uh, and it says in the next verse, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them, and on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. Now, it's not saying that there will be sacrifices done in order to atone for our sins, but more that they will be done in honor and in memory of what God has done. And I think it's in Ezekiel that says we will even practice, or they will even practice, uh, the Feast of Booths, which is a, a, a feast honoring God's provision of the people uh, that he brought uh, through the desert during the time of Moses and the Exodus. So they're not going to do that again because everyone's going to be homeless and booze. They're going to do these things in honor and in remembrance of the God who is worthy of their worship. And it says, on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord. 
And some versions transfer that to say a merchant, but I think it's better translated. This is the Amplified version. The last sentence says, and in that day, there shall be no more a Canaanite. That is any godless or unclean person, whether Jew or Gentile in the house of the Lord. So when, 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 when Jesus returns and he sets foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two and he goes out to defend his people, then he'll be one Lord over the entire earth. And there won't be any unholy people. There won't be any sinful people because all the enemies will be gone. And only people left at that time will be those who want to willingly and have committed to worship God. Now, here's the thing. Why is this important for us, right? Why, why does it make a difference that we know all of this stuff about the Lord's return? And, and here's why. I'm going to explain to you why. Because remember, the theme of Zechariah uh, especially for us today, is that we have to get back to work to, to share the gospel, to, to rebuild, not rebuild, but to build God's kingdom by sharing the gospel with people in our circles of influence. Here's the problem that a lot of people have and struggle with. Because this return of God is dr drastically different than the return that Paul talks about. What we see in the Bible is that they're literally going to be two returns. Now, remember what we just talked about. I'm going to quickly go through, again, this is why a lot of verses, a lot of Bible verses, uh, what Paul says. And Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica. This is the complete Jewish Bible version. So this is what anyone who was Jewish reading what Paul wrote in that day, this is what they would have understood him to mean. He says, when we say this, we base it on the Lord's own word. We who remain alive when the Lord comes will certainly not take precedence over those who died. And when he says, when we say this, he's talking about the apostles and the church at that time. This is what they taught. And the reason they taught it, he said, is because this is what Jesus said. He said, we remain alive when the Lord comes, certainly not take precedence over those who have died. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry with a call from one of the ruling angels, and with God's shofar, or the trumpet of God, as we generally hear it, and those who died united with the Messiah will be the first to rise. We didn't read about any of that in Zechariah. In Zechariah, the Lord comes down, he lands, he's not doing anything with the dead people, he's actually, people end up dying, those who are separated from him because they're stricken with panic and fear. Right? He says, those uh, who died united with the Messiah will be the first to rise. Then we who are left still alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. So encourage each other with this words. So he talks about something a little different. He's not talking about Jesus coming down and splitting the mountain. He's talking about Jesus hanging out in the air, the dead rise, and then we rise to him, totally different. And he says, encourage one another. But then he says this, you have no need to have anything written to you, brothers, about the times and dates when this will happen. And he says that because people said, hey, Paul, I've heard that we've missed the return of Christ. It's already happened. You said there's going to be this tribulation and, and all of this stuff, but people are saying that it already happened, just like people today are saying, hey, that the vaccine is the mark of the beast, and if you believe that, I'm sorry, you're wrong. It's not, but the vaccine is the mark of the beast, uh, and they believe that because they're limiting who can buy and who can sell and who can get into restaurants. You know, all that stuff, uh, people saying that we're in the tribulation, people saying that, you know, 
Fauci is the Antichrist, all of these things. And those are more political perspectives than anything having to do with the Bible. Because as you can see, they don't line up with Scripture. Because what Paul says is, hey, don't worry about people who said you missed it. Don't worry about the dates and times. We don't have to worry about that. And he tells them why. Because you yourselves know, or you yourselves well know, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And he says this, when people are saying everything is so peaceful and secure, then destruction will suddenly come upon them. There's two different things that we just read. One is, everyone's at peace. Like there's no, there's no war in the Ukraine. There's no major anything going on. You turn on the news and the only thing you hear is, and in tonight's news, there was two cats stuck in a tree and it only took one fireman to get him out. News at 11. That's it. No craziness. No one getting killed or robbed. Buildings burning. Everything just peaceful. That's totally different from what Zechariah described, which is there is this buildup of every nation on the planet going to war against Jerusalem. Now, think back to, because it was only several weeks ago, when uh, we were hearing in the news that Russia's building up to attack the Ukraine. Everyone remembers hearing that on the news, right? None of us were shocked when Russia attacked the Ukraine because we'd been hearing about it for weeks. There's a difference between a thief coming in and doing something when there's peaceful and we have no idea it happened and this huge war buildup. So let me, let, me, let me compare these two really quickly. So what Zechariah says is when, when the Lord returns, right? Zechariah says there's going to be this, this war going on, right? That's not a peaceful time. But Paul says it's going to be at a time of peace when everyone's just comfortable, they're peaceful, no one's concerned, everyone's like, you know, no one's, no one's posting negative things on Facebook. I would love to see that day. Don't think I'll live to see it. But that's the kind of thing that's going on. It's just so peaceful. But then Zechariah also says, hey, uh, when he comes, it's going to be known. Everyone will see him, and he'll go out and defend Jerusalem. Paul says he's going to come in like a thief, and people aren't even going to be aware that it happened right? Uh, Zechariah says that he's going to return to the Mount of Olives, literally splitting the mountain. Paul says he's just going to hang out in the air, and all the dead in Christ are going to rise and meet him, and then the Christians who are alive at that time will rise to meet him, right? And then Zechariah says, hey, it's going to affect everyone who's alive at that time, because they're all going to, there's going to be one, one Lord, and if you're an enemy of Christ, you're going to be affected. Uh, if you're with him, then you're going to worship him and be sacred and holy. Not going to be any more uh, unsaved people. Paul says, just the dead in Christ. And then those who are alive who are Christians. Everybody else who is not a Christian, he's like, I don't know what's going on with you. Because he's not coming for you. And then Zacharias says, when he shows up, it's to defend Jerusalem against the entire, all these nations that have come to, to fight it. And Paul says, when he shows up, it's just to grab the Christians, the dead ones, and the alive ones and say, we're out. Time for us to go. Those are two totally different things. One that Paul describes is going to occur before the other. And this is why it's so important for us 
Because from Zachariah's standpoint, this is why we need to get back to work of sharing the gospel, of focusing on that rather than anything political or anything cultural. Those things are important, but we have one job, to tell people about Jesus so that when he comes to take the dead in Christ and the alive in Christ, we're trying to get as many people on that boat as we can. That's our goal. That's our job. And it's not we're trying to get people into this building. We're trying to get people into God's kingdom by sharing and showing the love of Christ to them. And it's not because I want to or any pastor wants to or a denomination wants us to. It's because this is what Jesus tells us to do. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Making disciples of people doesn't mean you bring them into church. Making disciples of people means you teach them and equip them to live the way that Jesus lived. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And this is probably the most important aspect. Teaching them I have to obey everything I have commanded you. And if we teach them nothing else, it's to love God and to love others. If that's all we teach them, because that will encompass the entirety of the law, then we'll be doing what God has called us to do. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and um, we're going to sing, but I think we're going to close out with a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads for a moment and think of people in your circles of influence. Think of, it may be the local cashier, it may be uh, your, your favorite uh, waitress at your favorite restaurant, uh, it may be families that uh, you pass by in your community during, you know, community events, it may be your favorite butcher, baker, banker, or candle maker, whoever it is. Those are the people that God wants us to share his word with, not beat them over the head with a Bible but show them the love of Christ so that they might experience his love, his goodness, his grace, and his forgiveness. So God, we pray right now as we are thinking of people within our circles of influence who we know need to experience your love, that you would put it on our hearts to reach out with them, to connect with them, to invite them into our lives. And as we get to know them, to share your love with them to share your word with them, to be the church to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Amen, amen.